Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here. It is Monday at 7 p.m. We are at the beautiful studios of We Beam TV in Newport, Ritchie, Florida, where it is, what, 75 degrees and sunny. To all of you up north that are freezing, we really are so sorry and so glad that we're actually here. Um, but here we are. What's happening, hostess? Nothing much. Everybody say hello to Nada. Everybody say hello even if you're home. Hello, Hello Nada. <laughs> uh, tonight we have a great show, but as always, I want to start with thanking last week's guest. It was a fantastic show, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sean DeVoe. Did I say his name right? I hope I said his <laughs> I name so. right. Sean, Sean DeVoe. Um, we had a great show. We talked about, uh, again, the different ways that your financial planner and your elder law attorney should, you, should be guiding you through the world of long-term care. And although tonight's guest also will lead a little into long-term care, uh, he's the national bestseller, uh, best-selling author, international best-selling author of an incredible book that is right here, The Retirement Dream Maker. Uh, we're going to be introducing him and one of his key employees from his company in just a few minutes, but it's the Retirement Dream Maker, Master the Art of Retirement Abundance. It is an incredible book. I read it over the last three, four days. Uh, quite honestly, uh, I really started to read it to skim over it so I would look like a good host and know a little something about the book, uh, but the first, quite frankly, 10 pages were so engaging um, that I read the whole book. Um, which is very unusual for me because uh, I usually like books with pictures and this, this book doesn't have pictures. So, um, so I read it. That shows you how good the book is. So again, we want to thank Sean from last week. We want to always thank WeBeam TV for allowing us, uh, Mr. John Gaston, who's the president and founder of WeBeam TV, for allowing us to have this uh, platform that has grown from uh, zero in the last 28 weeks, today's the 29th week, to a little bit more than 90,000 viewers per month, and we continue to grow. So for those of you that are new viewers, let me give you a little premise of what 62 Who Knew really is. 62 Who Knew is about, for lack of better words, the double-edged sword, the mixed blessing of longer lifespans. Uh, every age group, every generation, uh, since our fathers, our grandfathers, and their fathers approached retirement, all had the same problems. Did we save enough money? Do we have the proper amount of insurance? Um, should we take Social Security, or should we defer to later life? Do we buy CDs? Do we buy annuities? Who's going to pay for our funeral? Do we have a living will? Do we need a will? Or do we need a trust? The questions are endless, and they're actually the same for every generation. Until my generation, I'll be 61 in a few months, and um, my generation has a different obstacle that no other generation has ever had. And that obstacle is longer lifespans. Over the last 30 to 40 years, medical technologies, scientific breakthroughs have advanced like no other decades before us. So many diseases that were around when I was a child, you know, I, I simply don't even exist anymore for our children and our grandchildren. Numerous amounts of cancers, uh, if, if caught in their early stages, are totally cured. For those of you that remember some of the bad part of the 80s, if somebody was... Uh, you know, tested HIV positive. It was a death sentence. Today there's medicine and they live great lives. So there's just so many examples. So 62, who knew, deals with that. Who knew when you got to 62 that, our, that statistics say you probably have about another 30 years left on this planet. That's half the time that you've been here, you're still going to live. And unfortunately, even though that is a blessing, statistics say less than 1% of this country are financially able 
to get through those 30 years without some help. That's why a lot of us are still working, um, and that's what this show is about. Social Security, long-term care, um, final expense, annuities versus CDs, fixed annuities versus variable annuities. Did uh, so many things. And uh, tonight, as I said, uh, our guest really is um, what I always refer to as 62 who knew at its best. So without further ado, um, you know, why, you have your glasses on? You do you need your glasses for this? Why don't you yes. read? This is a fraction, really, of both of their bios, because if we read all of their bios, it's so extensive um, that we would be here. We'd need more than an hour. All right. But why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, about our guests? All right. Tonight, we welcome two guests, Mr. Matthew Jackson and Ms. Sivia Key. Matthew Jackson is the number one international best-selling author of The Retirement Dream Maker, Master the Art of Retirement Abundance. Um, he has been a contributing author to Forbes, Fortune, Money, USA, News and World Report, Annuity123, Credit.com, and many other financial publications and websites. Sibia Key. And a devilishly good looking man. Did you see that up on screen? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I happen to notice that. Did you yes, notice I that? did. Devilishly, <laughs> devilishly good looking would be the term, I think. Um, and then we have Sibia Key that works with him. She's a senior insurance planner at Solid Wealth Advisors, um, is an independent trained field underwriter specializing in long term care and Medicare supplemental insurance with licenses for life and health in seven states. Every year she receives extensive training to keep current with changes in products and regulations in the healthcare industry. Matthew's book is a must read for all approaching and already in retirement segment of our, wait, does that make sense? Yes. Already in the retirement segment of our lives. Yes. Okay. Yes. Once again, 60 new, 62 who knew at its best. All right. Good job. That's the first time you ever introduced it. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> and without further ado, there we go up on the screen. Welcome, Matthew and Sevilla. Thank you for being here, really and truly. Thank you for having us. I am super grateful to have the ability to share the stage with both of you, 62 Who Knew, and have been following your program and all the work that you guys have been doing and just am honestly flattered that I'm here to hopefully add another tagline onto your intro regarding the importance of correctly planning for people's future for their money and insurance, but also for things that don't involve money, like fulfillment and having the most happiness in retirement. Yeah, that, that was what was the most touching part of your book. Truthfully, like I said, uh, like any good host, I, I was going to skim your book to look reasonably intelligent. Uh, but after reading the forward and the first few pages of the first chapter, you have to just keep reading. It, it, you've approached it in such a, an emotional way. Um, that I think anyone either approaching retirement, in retirement, maybe even in the latter part of retirement, I think would benefit by looking, I think they'll get done with your book and go, wow, it's not too late. Um, so uh, welcome and, and thank you for being here, Sevilla. Uh, Medicare supplements is something that we all know we need, but I still think it's a mystery to most of America. Um, it's, it's really a science, even though people think it isn't. So we really appreciate you being here, Sevilla. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I think your program is meeting a need that we have from many people that I talk to. From their experience, turning 65 is confusing and scary and a little overwhelming it is. when they get their health care. 
We were thinking, yeah, 65 is a rough age. We went with 62, who knew? But for a while, we were thinking with 65 is just a lot of jive. But we went with 62, who knew? Uh, it just polled better. But um, anyway, I'm going to, before we actually get into real questions, um, got to ask Matthew something. You know, you're a relatively young man right now, and you've been doing this for decades. So I always ask, it's a loaded question, because almost in every case, long-term care experts have something very highly personable that usually happened to them. It's usually not a happy thing that made them at a young age uh, devote their lives uh, to what you have devoted your life to. So I am going to ask you what brought you to this world uh, years ago, unless that's a too personal of a question. No, it's a great question and very interesting how I evolved into this business. Uh, I'm 47 now. I started in this business at about 28, which is a really early start to be getting involved in senior insurance planning. And it wasn't in the beginning, my, my start into long-term care planning wasn't because of a lot of pain. It was really because of a need. Mm -hmm. I saw that there was a lot of people out there turning age 65 that had questions about how to best address long-term health care costs. And there was just not enough people who were specializing in having that real particular focused information and how to help them best plan for their care affordably and responsibly that would add strength and synergy to their plan that they were already designing for retirement. Mm -hmm. I, I met a fella uh, back in 2003 by the name of Mark Goldberg. He was a guest on your program a couple times now. Mm -hmm. And yep. he, he honestly changed my life. Uh, not only did he change my life from looking at long-term care as a need that I could fill, but over the course of time, working with thousands of people all across the United States, I got to hear personal stories about what long-term care insurance did to improve people's lives while they needed long-term care. And I also, unfortunately, in a very personal way, got to see what not having a plan for care did in people's lives when they needed long-term health care, and the effects were devastating. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, I'm a firm believer in taking pain in your life and turning it around to a positive, but that's not how I got started in the industry. Although, over time, I did personally, through my family, experience a lot of pain for people who just decided, uh, you know, long-term health care is not for me. I don't need a plan of care only to wind up needing long-term health care. And then me witnessing the devastation, not only financially, but also emotionally and how it could really split whole families that were really tight completely apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, one of the things that Mark brought up on his first uh, appearance with us, and also I've learned so much from Mark over the years and um, that it's just been incredible. But Again, one of the differences of your books and so many other books is, you know, how you delve into certain things like life regrets. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, how so many people that have never been subject to depression find themselves uh, facing a little depression when they don't know what they're doing tomorrow at 8.30 in the morning. You, know, you can only play golf, even though you think you can, seven days a week forever or tennis or in today's world, pickleball, um, whatever you're going to do. Um, retirement is different. So uh, I am going to ask you, because I know the answer because I read your book, but um, again, you take such a different approach to retirement. 
Um, what is the number one end-of-life regret that you quoted in this book from all your research? Yeah, that's a great question and something that as a long-term care planner for almost two decades, I really didn't understand. And as I began to research important information to add into the book, I came across an online article written by a gal uh, named Bronnie Ware. And the name of the article is Regrets of the Dying. And Bronnie was a palliative caregiver helping people through the end stages of their life. And she was talking with the people that she was giving care to. And she was asking them, you know, if you had to do it all over, what would you do and what was your biggest regret? What would you change? And this is something that completely changed my life. I thought it would have been, you know, fame or, you know, saying I love you more. And it was the number one regret that people had in their lives was that they wished they had the courage to live a life true to themselves. And that struck me. Um, my, my book was actually born out of a lot of pain. My career was not. Mm -hmm. But a couple years ago, uh, I lost my mother to cancer, my uncle, both of my family dogs all in the same year, and a couple other people. And on a personal reflection trip, just to get away and kind of catch my breath, I got to thinking about all of the people that, you know, wound up not living a life true to themselves and the values and, and really kind of living a life that other people expected of them. And when I decided to write the book, I wanted to talk about things that my industry typically doesn't talk about. As financial planners and insurance planners, we're not talk, we're not told to talk about emotional things. We're told to talk we're talk about money. Yeah. That's exactly and when right. I, when I came across that online article, it, it thought, wow, you know, who else is really just thirsty for that information on how to get the most out of retirement? Because after all, Michael, we work 20, 30, 40 years mm -hmm. to live a dream lifestyle in retirement, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, many people never stop working. They work till death. Um, and that's a a sad situation for a great country like this. It's funny that when you say, uh, you know, living life to its fullest, I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, all speakers are with Tony Robbins, who's my favorite motivational speaker. And I've been, you know, a, 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 a disciple of his for a few decades. And one of the things he says is, you know, the number one regret of people, he's agreeing with you, he's putting it differently, is they get to their end of their life and they, I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have done this. And uh, what he always says in all his books and, and recordings is, you don't want to get to your, the end of your life shouldn't all over yourself. Uh, <laughs> but it, you, that's exactly what you are saying. Uh, he said it 30 years ago in a different way, but you are right. Yeah, that, that is the, I never would have thought of that, but as soon as you said it, as soon as I read it in the book, that is going to be anybody's regret, what they should have done and didn't. Can I share with you a quick story about a client that I had in, in my office that was sent to me on a, on a referral? Absolutely. Uh, while I was writing the book, it was just by divinity. A fellow came in wanting to roll his 401k from his employer uh, into, an, into an individual retirement account for himself. And once we got done with all the paperwork, I said, we'll just call him Paul for, for this story. I said, Paul, congratulations. You're a month away from retirement. What are you going to do? And truly, I was excited for him because I consider myself a retirement dream maker. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, well, first he looked at me and then he looked right through me and he started dreaming. And then he looked back at me and he said, you know, I honestly have no idea. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, Paul, wait a minute. You've been working for 40 years. You're at the finish line. Do you want to you know, fish, play music, travel, you know, spend time with your grandkids? And he looked at me and he said, Matt, honestly, I never thought I would make it this far. Mm-hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. I've never thought about it. That scared me. Yeah. Because he's not alone. And so to try to get him more into the dream state of what his life would look like, I said, okay, Paul, take yourself back into the third grade. When you were looking out the window, board of school, what was it that you were dreaming about? Did you want to fish? Did you want to build cars? What was it? Did you want to start a charity, help people? He said, I honestly, I honestly have no idea. And he walked out of my office with a little bit of inspiration, but really had to do a lot of soul searching. Mm -hmm. And I and I wrote this book to help people reshape their lives in retirement because the emotional aspect of what people are going to face in retirement, that's the dirty little secret. And uh, we're all, I'm sorry, go ahead. We're all told that retirement's a honeymoon, right? Yeah. And uh, we're going to have a great time. But, but let me tell you, the honeymoon does wear off. Yeah. And I hope through the words in this book, it inspires people to get past the honeymoon and really get into things of the heart, things of substance. Yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir, and my two marriages, the honeymoon wore off really quick. Um, but I guess that's different, um, different type of honeymoon. Um, I'm going to ask you something, then I, then I know Nada has a few questions. Um, interesting statistic in your book that, you know, when I first read it, I went, whoa. But the book quotes that close to 40% of people in retirement um, deal with clinical depression that have not dealt with depression ever in their earlier years. You would think it would be a continuation, but it's new, again, at a time in their life when there should be no stress. Yeah, that, that statistic during my research absolutely floored me. Because here we are, we should be in the pinnacle of our life. Yeah. We, we should have no worries. But here's what I found through, through an interesting story the same weekend that I did that personal retreat when I was searching about what I wanted to do with my life and help people, mm-hmm. I ran across a fellow who was a retired brain surgeon. And we just were having a casual conversation on the beach. And he said, wow, your concept about writing a book really hits me home right here in the heart. You know why? He goes, when I turned 65, my hospital retired me flat out. And Matt, I was at the top of my game. Number one, I was saving people's lives. I was making a difference. People, I had value. But once I turned 65, they put me out to pasture. And now I feel like I don't have any more value. Mm-hmm. I had purpose when I worked. I felt like I was important. I was contributing. I had responsibility for people's lives. And now what I look forward to most, Tuesday afternoon golf, followed by a nice glass of scotch. He said, I'm bored to death. Yeah. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And so... The media is telling our retirees, Michael, that when you're retired, don't bother us anymore. You know, you have no more value. You can't keep up with the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's totally wrong. I believe that people, when they hit retirement, are their absolute pinnacle in personal and professional growth and development because they've spent 40 years developing them. They have a, a mountain of cash, hopefully, behind them that they've saved and invested that can support them. And they have nothing but an ocean of time in front of them that they can go out there and really live a purposeful life and really have happiness. Yeah. There is no doubt that, you know, at that point in your life, your experience, 
uh, your your ability to know when to give in, when to compromise. Uh, what what is that old cliche? You know that wisdom is wasted. You know, uh, was it not wisdom is what, what cliche am I looking Wis for? I'm Something sure. wasted on the youth, but you really don't get the wisdom to be a good person until you get a bit older, uh, which is very strange. Um, paradox in a way of life um, because if I had some of the wisdom I have now 30 years ago you know we probably have 4 million viewers rather than 20,000 but, yeah. uh, but you know uh, I know you have a question also you have a couple of questions also to ask yeah I find it interesting um, that you're just saying that the divorce rate has increased for for people in the um, 62 or the baby boomers. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it, <laughs> that it, dinner was way too big. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that that staggered me too. That the old, that I, I don't want to say the older generation because it's me. Yeah. And I, I did it the it's normal you. way. I got divorced earlier, um, like a good American. Um, I uh, how is it go? Why are people approaching retirement? Why are their divorce rates going up so high suddenly? Yeah, universities have been studying this, and what they've found is that there's actually a condition out there that they've named the retired husband syndrome. So imagine, you're uh, yes. yeah, you're you're working, you're nine to five for 20, 30, 40 years. You're managing kids. Uh, you're trying to manage your finances. You're managing your social schedule, and now we have these little devices right here. Uh -huh that act as a big distraction. And so it's really easy what these university studies found is for, for a husband and wife or same-sex couple to, to just kind of drift apart over time because uh, they don't really have a need to spend a lot of time with each other. But then once retirement hits, what are you forced to do? Yeah. Spend time with each other. Time with each other. And it's interesting, those studies point out that a lot of people admit that they really don't understand their spouse. They really don't have an idea into their psyche about who they really are. Mm -hmm. And that goes into living a life true to yourself because we get these, this uh, schedule or this paradigm in us of what our spouse expects us to be like, how they expect us to behave, the things they expect us to do on a daily basis. And a lot of people can't break out of that routine. And once they find that they're forced to spend 24-7 with their spouse if they don't have resources for connection away from their spouse, they can sometimes drive each other crazy. And yeah. that, that leads to separation. Yeah, that, that makes That's sense. True. I mean, somebody, whether it's a best friend or a coworker or a spouse, you know, you spend X amount of hours of days with that person and you're truly in love. And suddenly when you have to spend 24-7 with that same person, um, that could be a different story. It sounds terrible, but it really, you do really one day look at them and go, I really have never liked you. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> so, why are we well, still, well, yeah, you spend so much time being mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, breadwinner, nurse, mortgage person, realtor, doctor, author, then suddenly you're just you. Um, it is a big change. And couple that with the depression that can set in from losing your identity as the doctor, the lawyer, the plumber, the nurse, the teacher, yeah, the really, parent, really. because now your kids are out. That compounding effect of that depression and losing your identity, wandering around who you're going to be like, mm -hmm. only contributes to the retired husband syndrome. Right. And I guess this also leads to why they're leading to more drug abuse and alcoholism. I mean, that was amazing that's, too. That statistic. Uh, so, 
That could be just by great marketing through uh, big retirement communities like the villages. <laughs> the villages in Ocala, Florida. I love the villages. They're what great. we refer to in my other life as reverse mortgage heaven. <laughs> True. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is that there's a perception in our society that money is the most important thing that mm -hmm. happiness comes from, especially for my industry. My industry is guilty for pushing that mm -hmm. on, on retirees that, hey, if you don't have a certain amount of money or the biggest pile of cash possible, you can't possibly be happy because if, if it isn't for money, you can't buy those things. You can't go those places uh, rather than growing as a person professionally, personally, and spiritually during retirement. And in my perspective, money's just a tool in our life to help us get what we really want. Oh, that's and, absolutely true. Yeah. And in my opinion, many retirees feel like if they don't have a pile of money, it's not possible to have happiness or fulfillment. And what I write about in The Retirement Dream Maker are specific ways for people to find ways to build connection, to build happiness and fulfillment that don't require a lot of money. It requires some effort. Don't get me wrong. You can't sit on your couch. Uh, although you can. There, I, I do detail some ways in the book that you yeah. can sit on the couch mm -hmm. and develop connection. Yeah. The point is you can't be apathetic. That's right. The point is that you have to have some type of drive. And most importantly, research shows, and many people, viewers watching your show, are not going to want to hear this if they're in retirement. The best way to get fulfillment during retirement is to saddle yourself with responsibility. Mm -hmm. Wrap your head around that. You just got done working for 40 years. You try to get rid of as much responsibility as possible. And research says if you want to have true happiness and fulfillment, it doesn't come from money. It comes from saddling yourself with the responsibility to others. And that can be in the form of, you know, church groups, synagogue groups. It can be in the form of uh, hobbies that you have. It can be in the form of growing a garden and passing that out to people in your community that need that food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, or, or quite frankly, playing a, 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 an unusually high active role. Uh, you know, in your grandchildren's life, you know, be be that second set of parents, you know, because mom and dad are probably working very hard to give their children a great lifestyle. That's right. And that that responsibility of passing along that familial uh, knowledge is what helps a lot of people to create their identity in retirement. But it doesn't stop there. You know, I, I heard a quote a long time ago that goes something like this. You can find happiness in a bottle or with drugs, but true fulfillment is measured in how you live your life, the people you serve, and the value that you create. That is so my, Thank you. And I, I wish I could take credit for it, but I'm not that smart. And my wife says I have a face for radio, so I'm you know, grateful. <laughs> that you have me. Yeah, so. I, have, I have the body for radio, so we make a good pair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I forget who's quoted this because it is somebody famous. But um, God, I wish I could remember. Um, but anyway, they, you know what they said was life is all about the dash. And you know when you look at somebody's headstone and it says, you know, from 1938 dash to, it's all about the dash, what you did in the middle. And yeah. that, that's so that's so apropos. So you you developed or you dedicated not only an entire chapter, but throughout the book, you, it's laced in it. And I think this is very important, too. And then um, 
We have to ask Severe a question because she's looking lonely there. So, but after after this question, Severe, we're coming to you. Um, it's interesting that you also put that if you are in retirement, 60s, 70s, whatever it may be, and you haven't done the things we've been talking about now for about 30 minutes, that it's not too late. And I think there's a lot of people out there in their 70s, maybe even 80s, that are going, I blew it, my timing wasn't right, um, you know, this is going to be my life, that's it, until I die. And I, I, I love the part of the book uh, that you dedicated to, it's never too late. It's never too late. It, before I talk about how some people can just quickly live that, that it's not too late, can I talk about some of the obstacles that people will run into during retirement? That Absolutely. I've seen person after person after person just follow one after the other right into. And I think it's fair for your viewers uh, that they understand just from a 30,000 foot level some of the challenges that they face that nobody ever wants to talk about. And, mm -hmm. and the first is, Familial expectations and constructs. Our family expects us at a certain age to behave a certain way. And uh, even my own daughter's friends, not my own daughter, she learned, she knows better, but my daughter's friends say, oh, your dad's 47, he's a black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He likes to do you know, uh, week-long trips in the mountains by himself. He should act his age. You don't have to. Uh, I'm determined to break that construct to act and look like a 47-year-old, all the ones that are around me. Yeah. And, and I, and I hope to continue to do that. So that's first. Second is societal pressure. Society tells us the same thing through advertising and marketing. When we get to age 65, we should buy this. We should have this. We should go to this place and we should act that certain way. And I would encourage people to take back control of their life and live it the way that's true to themselves rather than what society is telling them to do. So that's number two. Number three, money. We're told by financial planners, the television and media that, like I said before, if you don't have a pile of money, you have no chance of being happy in retirement. And I'm here to tell you, it's things of the heart that help create happiness and fulfillment. This is just a means to an end. So yeah. that's number three. Mm -hmm. Number four is daily habits. You know, many people during retirement get stuck into the daily habits that they hit, that they had while they were working. That means getting up at the same time. It means maybe buying the same pack of cigarettes or smoking at the same time, eating the same type of meals. And Mark Goldberg, who I have so much respect for, changed this in my life years ago. And he said in front of a room when he was giving a talk, and he said, Matt, if you want to reshape your life and form new daily habits, you have to do it for at least 30 days. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that because it changed my life. And every single year, I always try to find a way that, you know, maybe one thing that I want to improve in my life, and I dedicate myself to making that a habit for 30 days straight. And if you went into my bathroom mirror, I have three things that I want to improve on right now in my life. Mm -hmm. And in order to make sure that I don't get stuck into my own daily habits, I put a tally mark every single day that I do one of those tasks that I want to get better on. So... Being a victim of just doing the same thing over and over is very real. So I just want to warn everybody out there. Yeah. What do they say? Uh, the true definition of uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yeah. And it's true for retirees. They, they are not, uh, they're just as susceptible as anybody else. Number five, lack of direction. 
you know, we get told because society and familial pressure and, and is telling us what we should do, we often wonder, you know, like Paul, we talked about earlier, what was it that you dreamt about when you were a kid that you wanted to do? What was that one goal? What was that one thing you always wanted to do? The one person or occupation you wanted to be or the one place you wanted to travel and what you're going to do to make a difference in people's lives. So oftentimes we're not told to have an objective view of our own life. To, to turn around and look back at what we did before the dash mark, right? Mm -hmm. So having, having some direction is really, really important. I give some exercises throughout the book to help people understand and how to create the direction in their life if they've not had any. They've just been kind of a, a sail blowing in the breeze without you know, uh, a good rigging to the boat. Yeah, it is really kind of amazing as we get older. And you said you're 47? Yes, sir. So I'm, you know, just I'm 13 years older than you, but it, it really is amazing how many people we meet. Nice people, good people, intelligent people, good moms, good dads, but even in their prime years, don't have direction. They're getting to Friday, and I, and I'm not casting dispersions on them. It's it's rough out there right now. You know, 95% of couples are both working, mom and dad. It, it's not easy right now to be a mom and dad with two or three children. Um, but the direction is getting through the week, getting through the month. And then you get to a certain point in life, like you said, where you realize that lack of direction, um, you know, now it's time to have it. And sometimes you do get depressed over the fact that you don't have it. Yeah, it's, it's that pain of regret that hurts worse than anything Absolutely. else that's out there. Before you ask him his next question, I feel bad for Sevilla. We've got to get Sevilla involved here. Sevilla, you're the first field underwriter or underwriter of um, Medicare sub-policies that I've actually talked to directly. Um, and, of course, like all people, my only experience uh, with a med sub-policy was my parents. And fortunately, we had one of the, the best financial planners uh, uh, ever, ever, ever. His name was Lucas Pruitt. We just lost Lou, unfortunately. He was our financial planner for three decades. And when mom and dad came of age, he, he walked into my office in the mortgage company. He said, you're buying mom and dad uh, a med sub policy. The payment will automatically come out of your business account. Don't argue. Don't anything. Just do it. We loved and trusted Lou. We did it. And there was a number of years that I thought to myself, why are these two payments coming out of my business account uh, every month? And then suddenly it started in the 70s and 80s. The back surgery, the cervical cancer, mm -hmm. the this, the that, the heart attack, the congestive heart failure. And suddenly, um, Lou insisting, uh, back then I think it was $165 a month. I think it's a little more expensive now. But if it wasn't for that med sub policy, uh, mom and dad would have died broke. So uh, tell us a little bit more, you know, severe about the importance of the MedSup policy. Are there different ones out there? Everybody seems to think they're all the same. I'll just get the one that's cheaper. Is that true? Um, tell us a little bit, Mago. Let's go a little deeper on MedSup policies. All right. Well, first of all, your parents weren't any different, and you weren't any different than anyone else I talked to. Everyone seems to find, including myself, about eight years ago and my husband, had to start looking into this, um, that Medicare is convoluted and intricate and difficult for us to understand sometimes, which is where someone like me comes in. Mm -hmm. Has, as a trained uh, field underwriter, but also trained in the different policies on the different uh, 
pros and cons of the policies. I can help with the decision tree. So basically what you do is you end up filtering out all the access, all the things that don't matter to you. And you end up focusing on what is your health history? What is your family's health history? Mm -hmm. And also having to remember that as we get older, the little things that are bothering us in our younger years can amplify and magnify and become something that's costing us money all the time. And so the Medicare supplement plan is a way of cost averaging. So at first you may feel like, like you said, when you were younger, when they were younger, your parents were younger, they didn't spend that much money in healthcare and they mm -hmm. didn't need that much coverage. But a few years later, and all of a sudden they've got the back surgery or the knee surgery or the diabetes is causing neuropathy. And so suddenly that Medicare supplement plan is gold. It's a gift. Yeah, just a gift. And the emotional the emotional impact is huge. It takes the stress off of the money side yeah. because it's stressful enough to have to deal with surgery uh, and recovery. Yeah, you're so right about that. Yeah, I remember getting bills from mom and dad, you know, where this, you know, where the extra 20% was 22,000, 32,000, you know, 18,000 and um, it actually coming in saying this is not a bill, it has been paid. And my father or mother's look going, that's nice. Um, yeah, it, it really is unbelievable. Uh, I'd like to say one more thing that has been sort of bothering me about our current um, promotion of the Advantage plans. Don't get me wrong, I think Medicare Advantage, which is the, the alternative to mm -hmm. original Medicare, which is managed by the government rules, this is insurance companies taking over management. They have to obey certain rules and regulations. It's not just the Wild West. And they do have certain advantages for certain people. But right now what we're hearing is how fantastic they are, how, much more, how many more benefits you get, a little transportation, a little eyeglasses, some dental work. And in reality, those are very small benefits that mm -hmm. can easily be replaced with sub supplemental type plans, extra yeah. plans. Whereas the co-payments and the maximum out of pocket for some people can be devastating. Absolutely. It, yeah, even, at, even as a novice, I've been reading things about Medicare Part B um, that is just, just terrible. Um, I never would have expected that the government could lie to us like that. Uh, well, who'd have thought? You don't want to. You don't want to just throw out the advantage plans or the Part D, but 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 uh, the advantage plans have a place. Yeah, it's just for everybody. All right. All right, we are we're doing good on time, but it's sometimes this hour show goes so quickly, and I know we have a couple more questions uh, for Matt, and then also John, when you can, if we could throw up the coupon code. Um, uh, all right. Um, if we could throw up the coupon code because the book is normally sixteen ninety nine, and um, if you put in the coupon code for watching the show, uh, you'll be able to order it from Matt for nine ninety nine. And as most of our viewers know, my book sits here uh, for the last twenty eight weeks, a gift from my father, and we've yet to have a show on it. I don't push it. Um, I will one day. This is the first book I am actually saying 
into the camera, you have to buy this book. Uh, you have to buy this book if you're approaching retirement, in retirement. Um, I got to tell you, if you're in your 30s and 40s, buy this book, not only to prepare yourself, but to learn maybe a little of what mom and dad are thinking right now. Um, again, that's what I think separates your book. Um, reading this made me really think about, uh, well, there's a section of the book where you say, I know you all have thought this. Um, and then there was a paragraph that follows, and we only have 16 minutes left, so I don't want to read the paragraph. But it is the exact thinking that I have at almost 61 years old. And it's just amazing when you read that particular paragraph. I think it's in chapter two. It's like, oh my God, it's like he wrote down what I've been thinking for the last six months. But I know we still have a few more mm -hmm. questions um, for Matt. So how do you as a retirement um, planning specialist think, uh, oh wait, you did that one, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. What role does proper retirement planning play in living healthy lifestyles for the uh, retirees? Super important. And not just to focus on the money. Uh, to support us to do the things that we want to do. But there's no greater feeling that we can give as people talking about finance to our clients, to viewers, knowing that they can't outlive their money, that they're going to be okay. And I hear probably like everybody uh, on the panel and also the viewers who are watching feel that their retirement could disappear in a moment because they still remember 2008 and when you retire dictates how you retire and here's what i mean by that it's our job as a financial planner to to, to provide as much security as we can through all of the tools and strategies that your show talks about which i'm super grateful for when you retire for example if i was to have retired in 2006 with a million dollars and i wanted to peel five percent off of my principal to live on a $50,000 a year income and I was going to be okay mm -hmm. and all of my money was in the stock market mm -hmm. and in 2007 hit, 2008 hit and I lost 42, maybe more percentage of my retirement. Now my, my $1 million is worth $660,000 in order for me to create that $50,000 a year income. What do I have to do now? You have to get like eight, nine percent on your money, which wasn't available. Yeah, and what kind of returns were you getting in 2008, 2009, 2010? Almost <laughs> nothing. You'd be lucky to, you should have taken your money out of the market if you were smart. So how would that make the viewers or us feel knowing that we had to get a $50,000 income, but we don't want to go back to work? How would that make you feel? Bad. Very anxious. Very anxious, yeah. That's Very the perfect anxious. word, anxious. And that's where I'm a believer in what your show is doing and the message that you're bringing to the American public and hopefully throughout the world, which is I'm one of the few financial planners who's duly licensed. I hold a securities license and an insurance license. And I try to tell people in, in the chapters in the book that there is an absolute war going on for their money. No doubt. I agree. And that war is between licensed securities people, big banks, brokerage firms, and people that offer insurance. And my it's been my belief, the reason why I became duly licensed is because I think that both industries have good tools and strategies to offer. However, I don't think that one has the lock on the best. And so to answer your question directly, I believe it's up to people like us that are independent fiduciaries, 
whether you're singularly licensed in insurance or singularly licensed in securities, you should act as a fiduciary. Yes. Always put your clients first. Mm-hmm. Be independent. Don't have your judgments on what you would offer to your clients or what you should tell them as, as the best strategies that are for them because it earns you a high commission. It should always be about the client because at the end of the day, when we do the right thing for our clients, whether we have to refer them to somebody else to use the tools and strategies, I'm not licensed with reverse mortgages. I love them. I think they're great for the right people. Mm-hmm. I can't offer them, so I would refer them to somebody like you, Michael. Mm-hmm. But the message is, when I can take the best of the securities world, the best of the insurance world, the best of the mortgage industry, and add them together to create a plan that adds strength and, and synergy for my clients, everybody wins. Yeah. Because emotionally, they're not worried about the bad tweet that can send the stock market down, a terrorist attack, a missed earnings report, a bad news cycle that makes their account values do this. They can have more stability and confidence knowing that they can pursue their passions and their passions are not dictated about the amount of money that they have because it's okay. Mm-hmm. Now they can really go after the true fulfillment in their life. The ultimate freedom is what I call it. The freedom to live your life with your true purpose and your true passion. Yeah, It's kind of funny how all brilliant people, and I'm counting you among those people, we had a guest about eight weeks ago, Mr. Tom Hegna, um, who, was, who was no doubt known worldwide as probably the top uh, income annuity specialist. A uh, brilliant man and an incredibly brilliant speaker. Um, and he speaks about the psychology. He's certainly not the only one, but again, his book gets very personable. Well, one of his many bestsellers about that retirement is not about assets, it's about income. You want guaranteed income because, one te- like you just mentioned, one terrorist attack, one bad day, one anything brings the stock market crashing. You wake up, you know, one day you're worth a million. The bell rings at 4.30 in the stock market, you're worth a half a million, and you have a stroke the next day because suddenly you don't have enough liquidity to get through retirement. So um, what Tom preaches, and it's exactly what you're saying now, is it's about income. It's really, I mean, obviously assets count, but God, people that have it all in, in the stock market now with all the nuts out there that have nuclear bombs, and the world's just in a, in a crazy place. And... Um, I keep threatening that we're going to have a show one day, you know, based on just morals and ethics. We'll have a, a, a column of people, uh, 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 you know, of you, Mark Goldberg, uh, Tom Hegna, and just talk about, you know, that whole philosophy of putting the customer first. I think a lot of people have forgotten there is a difference between morals and ethics. You know, ethics can be listed. Ethics can be taught. You know, the... Uh, one of my greatest, uh, one of my favorite organizations, uh, the Financial Planning Association of America. Also, we have NAFA, the National Association of uh, in- Independent Insurance Agents. They have a list, a code of ethics. Ethics is something you can read. I think what this country is suffering from the last two or three decade- decades, it's not a lack of ethics, it's a lack of morals. And I think morals is kind of taught to you by your parents uh, at a young age. And if you're not taught correctly, there's a problem, and I think there's a, we're getting a little too philosophical here, I know. I think there is a problem in this country with morals the last couple of decades. Well, that is a really powerful point. And when I started in this industry in the early 2000s, 
uh, there used to be a philosophy that was, what have you done lately for your client? And it seems like it's changed to, what have you done lately for the company? Yeah. And to me, it's just backwards. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, and, and to that point, I also wanted to strengthen your point about uh, the guaranteed income. I share a concept in the pages of that book that I think your viewers will grab really tightly and understand. And that is when you're working, you're in the asset accumulation phase of your life, trying to accumulate much as much wealth as possible through saving and investing, making all the right moves that require skill and care. It's my philosophy that you should have done all of that work up to the day you retire. And when you hit retirement, there should be no, no more need for heavy asset accumulation, but you should rather transfer or shift into asset preservation. It's more important to keep what you've made and protect it from that tweet, the terrorist attack, changing trade policy, things like that. And it is to grow it by 10 or 15%. Because if you're really chasing those big returns, you're also in line for what? Big risk. Big risk. Big risk and big losses. There's no reason to do that. And unfortunately, my industry with the, um, the securities industry, with the philosophy of what have you done for the company lately? Mm. Here's where the morals come in, Michael. Brilliant point. It's, it's not about helping people live fulfilling lives and, and, and securing them. It's all about how do we keep the client's money invested in the stock market as long as possible? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you know, you're the first person that came on the show. We've had some very brilliant financial people on the show. I've had the pleasure of speaking around the country. Usually I'm speaking, of course, on reverse mortgages, but hearing uh, brilliant speakers like yourself, they always talk about asset accumulation. And then when you get to uh, retirement, you're in asset depletion. You are the first financial planner to, uh, that I've ever heard use the two words asset preservation. Yeah. And that's what it's really about. Well, absolutely. Not necessarily, they've got people trained that you're in depletion mode. Um, preservation would be a lot better mode. 100%. I totally agree. And, and I hope that the strategies that I talk about in the book really resonate with people across the United States and even internationally, because all the principles that you talk about and share on your show, they're not, they're not singular to the United States. You no. can use them around the world. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I think there would be a lot less anxiety and depression and less focus on money and returns and more about, hey, how do I spend uh, a life with my grandkids, showing them the true me right here. Mm -hmm. Not what am I going to do for them to show how much grandpa appreciates them or grandma appreciates them by doling out the dough. No, mm -hmm. it's giving the example of, of, of being a good person, having morals and ethics and, and pursuing your passion, not caring about what other people might think about you. Yeah, that's not a, that's a biggie too. Not caring about what say about you. Mm -hmm. Now we yeah. have something on the screen and I just want to make sure Matt 62 and you off. Is that the coupon code? Yes, right. sir. So, so to our audience, if you go to, uh, to Matt's website and you want to purchase the book, enter Matt 62 and you off, and uh, you'll be getting a very large discount on the book. It'll be going down to 995. If for some reason you're not writing this down, guys, or you have problems on Matt's website, you know you can always go to 62whoknew.com, throw Nader and I a message you know, that says, hey, we didn't get a chance to, to write down Matt's website. Uh, send it to us. We'll be glad to do that. I think we have about what, about four minutes left, John. Yep, just about four minutes. Um, we usually stop at about two, so I can thank you guys. 
So in the two minutes remaining, um, you know, if you had to leave us with something, again, I can't, um, I can't stress more uh, for the first time in 29 weeks uh, to, our, uh, to our audience, buy this book. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just an eye-opener. It's an eye-opener if you're of age, and it's an eye-opener if your parents are of age for a little bit of what they're going through, which I think is, uh, is important when you're in your 30s and 40s to go, you know, Dad's not acting like he usually does. Well, Dad used to have all those responsibilities that you spoke of and suddenly doesn't. Um, like I said, yours was the first book that, that really, really approached it from the, you know, from the heart, you know, rather than you're going to live to be this age and this is why you need this annuity. Um, it, it really was a, a great weekend reading the book. Can you think of any more questions or uh, should we ask Matt and, and Sevilla to end us? Maybe Not they end. should tell us. Maybe there's something they, there's, we, we left out that they might like to left, say. Which gives you about a minute, minute and a half. What would you like to leave us and our viewers with? I would like your viewers to write this down. In my opinion, researching and studying and talking with over thousands of people, the number one key to longevity in your life is to be curious and be a lifelong learner. I'll leave you with that. I like that. Sevilla, like your that. parting message? I put you on the I spot would, there. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know I was. Um, I would say that take the time when you're younger to learn a little bit of something about insurance for your health when you're older. Take the time when your mind is clear and you're not under stress and you can make good decisions. That, that is such great advice, Sylvia. You know, in your world, in almost everybody's world, um, there are times that you can fix something after the fact. I mean, you actually can get a flat tire. You know your, your, your right rear tire is low and you know you need to get a new tire and you just don't. So you get a flat, you pull it to the side of the road, it's, it's aggravating. You throw the little donut tire on, you hobble over to the Firestone place um, or wherever you go and you fix your tire. There are some problems that you can fix after they happen. But in all the topics that are dealt with here and in life, you can't get it after it happens. You can't fix the bond door after the horses leave, which is an amazing analogy for a Jew from New York who has never been in a barn or seen a really a horse that close. Um, but I know it's a great analogy. And when you need long-term care insurance, when you need that MedSup policy, when you need that final expense policy, when you really thought, wow, I should get more life insurance, it's too late. And it's amazing that people, when they're younger, just don't get that. It's just amazing to me. All right, so one minute. we have one minute to go. Uh, thank you, thank you. You know, we didn't get to several things. Um, I'm hoping that you will come back. Uh, in the near future. Uh, I hope you'd you know, like to be a guest again. And uh, again, for those of you that are, uh, that are going right to Matt's website to purchase the book, once we go off in about 30 seconds, if you haven't got to the website, if you didn't get to it, go to 62whoknew.com and um, just contact Nader or I and we'll point you in the right direction. We have some very, very special guests coming uh, in the month of March, one of which is a world-class magician. We're going to go a little light. I'm 162 who knew. We did that about two months ago with one of the nation's funniest men, G. David Howard. And now we're going to do some close-up magic. You've seen him, haven't you, Matt? This is a man that has performed for presidents, kings, all around the country. He's going to come on 62 who knew, and we're going to have an hour of enjoyment 
Sevilla, and Matt, thank you. Four seconds left. Thanks to our audience. See you next week. Thank you. Have a good night.